Well, if today is your first time joining us, welcome uh, to Mosaic. Uh, I'm Slim, I'm the pastor here. And uh, what we've been doing is we've been walking through a series called Orthodox Foundational Truths to Treasure. Uh, and so each week we've been covering some of the basic um, foundational parts of the Bible that, that are, we think are just key to our faith, that, that are critical to, to what we believe. And today we're coming to what uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones describes as the, the greatest verse in the Bible. We're looking at a topic that John Calvin uh, describes as the hinge of the gospel, that everything turns on this, what J.I. Packer describes as the mighty atlas that upholds the entirety of the gospel, what Leon Morris says is possibly the most single important paragraph ever written, what Martin Luther describes as the most important piece in the New Testament. It is purest gospel. It is well worth a Christian's while not only to memorize this little paragraph word for word, but also to occupy themselves with it daily as though it were the daily bread of the soul. So <laughs> we're not trifling with anything light this morning. We're, we're coming to, whether they're right or not, what others think is critical, critical stuff this morning. What, what are we talking about? We are talking about justification. Justification. And I think many of us don't actually use that word too much in our regularly scheduled programs, uh, but, but the heartbeat of justification could be described in our every waking moment. That the heartbeat of that could be true. And so what, what do you think of when you think of justification? For me... Um, you know, the, the Olympics are going on right now, uh, and, and there's this old movie called Chariots of Fire. Anyone seen this? Uh, so it's an older movie. Uh, you have to be over the age of 30 to have seen it, I think. <laughs> uh, it portrays these two Scottish Olympic sprinters at the 1924 Olympics, and, and one of them, Eric Liddell, was this fully committed uh, uh, man of God in the movie, and he utters this famous line that, that I run to glorify God. And when I run, I feel his pleasure, which is just like a perfect picture of someone finding their niche in what God has called them to. When I run, I feel his pleasure. But the, the, the counter hero to, to Eric Liddell is Harold Abrams, who says he wasn't running about pleasing, his running wasn't about pleasing God. It, it was about proving that he mattered. Running gave him, he said, 10 lonely seconds to justify my existence. How many of y'all relate with that? <laughs> Ten lonely seconds to justify my existence, to prove that I matter. And maybe for you it's not 10 lonely seconds on a track. Maybe it's the 60-hour work week that you have ahead of you to say, this is how I justify my existence. This makes me matter. Maybe, maybe, maybe you are living for the approval. Maybe it's the approval of your father or your mother or your boss or to be in a club of some sort or to prove someone wrong that I matter. How many of us feel that we only have a short amount of time to justify our existence? Is there an ever-growing never stopping, always buzzing voice in the back of your head that says, you're not enough. 
work harder. Strive, fight, struggle to justify yourself. Today we're talking about justification, and, and I hope that we'll see today that it's, that it's, it's more than just forgiveness. Today, justification is this. Justification is a declaration that answers a dilemma and makes a world of difference. Let's say that again. Justification is a declaration that answers a dilemma and it makes a world of difference. And one question I want you to ask at the beginning of this uh, sermon, and maybe as we go to the end you'll be able to answer it, is what is the difference between a Pharisee and a recovering sinner? What's the difference between a Pharisee and a recovering sinner? I hope today we'll be able to help you distinguish that. All right, so the declaration, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is a famous verse. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And so the first part feels like what you might expect from the Bible. Even a non-Christian might expect that. Like, okay, God's angry with us. We're all sinners. Um, all, are so, all are sinners. All fall short. And, and Paul is making that argument, right? Romans chapter 1, we're not in it, but Romans 1, Paul is saying how all of the Jews, how far they are from God. Chapter 2 is how far all of the Jews are from God. And so you put those together, all, all Gentiles, all Jews, everyone together, without distinction, is completely, completely far away from God. No matter where you are, you are equally condemned. No matter your background, no matter your ethnicity, no matter your family story, all of this, everyone is condemned. And so the natural ending to verse 23, you would think would be, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are condemned to hell forever. That seems to be the logical outcome here, but verse 24 introduces a very radical and truly radical idea of justification. It says, though a sinner fallen short, they are justified by grace as a gift. So what does that mean? That they're forgiven? Maybe. Does that mean that they're, they're transformed right on the spot right there? That they're truly justified? That they're truly perfect and righteous right this moment? And our answer to this question is the hinge on how we will now unpack the rest of the scriptures, really. When we talk about justification, we're not talking about proving your worth before God. When the scriptures use the word justification, it is this courtroom setting, right? It's this courtroom setting Justification, or to justify, is a, a legal declaration that the judge pronounces or declares to the courtroom that, the, that the, the accused is now acquitted, that the sinner is now declared righteous, and it happens all at once. And so justification is not this process of, of making, you, making you perfect. It is a declaration where we become righteous and, and so it's, it's happening right now at this moment when you become a believer. Now, some of you are thinking, okay, but, but I'm not. <laughs> but I'm not righteous. And I think if, if anyone has any shred of integrity in them, and they look at their own hearts and they go, but I'm not. But I am a sinner. I know how far I I've gone and how many days in a row I blow it and how this very morning I sinned. Even as I walked into this door, I sinned, <laughs> right? We, if we have any shred of integrity, we know this to not be true. And so what do we do with that? That God declares us righteous and we don't feel it. 
Sinclair Ferguson has this great quote. I, I just love it. Justification is God's last day verdict about us that's been brought forward for us to enjoy this present day. And so really I think a way to say it here is it's a last day verdict said now. Justification is a last day verdict said now. Let's all say that together. Justification is what? A last day verdict said now. And so if someone ever asks you what it is, you'll not be able to tell them. A last day verdict said now, right? That you are, you are justified means you are righteous, you are good, you are holy. And that has been declared today so that you know the end of the story. You know where it's going to end. Then this one declaration gives you and me a pardon for all of our sins, our past sins, our present sins, and all of our future sins. It is all of them. And so justification removes the guilt that we feel over our sins. And to distinguish it, we'll talk more about this next week with sanctification. Sanctification removes the pollution of sin, and that's the actual cleaning up of what's going on here. But when you are declared righteous, even though you aren't, you are now declared justified. Sanctification is removing actual pollution. Justification is taking the guilt away, right? And so right now, if you are a believer in Christ, you are simultaneously a sinner and a saint, simultaneously a sinner and a saint all at once. And so God sees you just as if you never sinned. And we now have, we have to, by faith, which is just you know, a, a trust of something you can't see, trust of something to believe that on that last day, that verdict is going to be righteous, justified. And we, we, by faith, believe in that over our present reality. And verse 24 goes on to say, justified by grace as a gift through redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, when, when we redeem something, it's to buy back something or to restore an old, uh, old or destroyed object. And I think, because um, I'm me, uh, when I think of redemption, <laughs> the great scene that I think of is from Dumb and Dumber. Uh, when Lloyd trades in his van for a moped on this cross-country trip. Do you remember this scene? Uh, and, and Harry says... Lloyd, just when I thought you couldn't be possibly anything, I said it wrong here, let me say, just when I think you couldn't possibly do anything dumber, you go and totally redeem yourself. It's the idea of you, you've now redeemed yourself, you've restored who I thought you were. You, you, I thought you were dumb, but now you've proven to me brilliant to drive on a moped across country with two people, right? That, that's that movie. That's me. Maybe a different analogy that might sit home a little bit better. Um, maybe you've gotten a coupon from HEB that says that you have now, you've now received uh, a, a free turkey for Thanksgiving. And you're like, that's awesome. That's cool. And so when you go to HEB at, at Thanksgiving, you, you go get the turkey. You, then you go to the, the checkout, and the cashier says that'll be $30. And you're like, <laughs> I mean, for some average schmuck, yes, maybe. But I've got a coupon <laughs> that makes this turkey free. Now, how much did you pay for this turkey? Nothing. How much did the manufacturer pay full price? This coupon is now your access to this free turkey. You see the, you see the analogy here? It breaks down somewhere along the way, right? Your coupon connected you to this, and that is how we get saved. You present faith in Jesus of what he did as yours, and boom, it's yours. You're redeemed, you're bought, you're purchased with the blood of Christ, and you're now restored. 
But this gets to the, to the dilemma of justification. The dilemma of justification is that, that, that should, we should be asking a lot is, how is this possible? How is it possible? And, and many times we want to ask, how could God send anyone to hell? Like, that just feels wrong. But what Scripture plainly teaches is not, how can God send anyone to hell? The question that should be asked is, how can God justly forgive anyone? Matthew 13, 40 says, Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus and the Bible are uber clear on the wrath of God. I mean, imagine someone broke into your house and, and, and destroyed some of your most valuable things. And then they go before the judge and they start pleading their case, arguing their case. Yes, but I'm actually a really good person. I volunteer. I serve on the PTA. And they try to argue their, their innate goodness. And you say, that's great, but it doesn't restore what you've destroyed. Sin violates and destroys all these images of God here on, on this universe, it overturns his justice. And, and the justice of God is the foundation for his creation. And so for creation to remain good and sustainable, justice has to be upheld. And so then how does God uphold justice and forgive sinners at the same time? If God is truly just, how could he let anyone off for what we've done? If God is truly just, what... He should pour out his wrath on us. But how, before we answer the question how God does that, I think one thing that we want to answer is, I think naturally there's this pushback that says, but that's not my God. I don't believe in a God like that. I don't believe in a God of wrath and justice. My God is all about love. I don't believe in that. And, and I just want to, if that is a struggle of yours, I want you to ask yourself, think about someone that you truly love. Think about someone that you truly, truly love. And, and if you truly love someone, anger and wrath go with that love. It comes in there. So that if, if, if you love a child and someone hurts that child, there is an anger and a wrath that, that comes out at that moment. If you care for someone, it's out of a deep care that you hurt when they hurt and you're angry when they're sinned against. And so the opposite of love isn't anger and wrath, the opposite of love is indifference. It's apathy. Because if, so, if someone does something to someone you don't love, we don't care. And so what does that convey if God does nothing about his creatures that he loves, that he doesn't do anything about it? But it's out of a deep, deep love for the rest of God's creation that, that he steps in, that God is compelled by love to fight for his creation. And so our sins deserve the wrath of God. But again, how can God both love us and uphold justice? This is the divine dilemma. Like, how does this happen? And our passage kicks off with just tremendous hope. In verse 21, it says, But now, 
the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. And so the law has condemned us. It has shown us how far short we've fallen. It is high-definition cameras just showing all of our imperfections in the ten ways that we've made open war on God. But now. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, Praise God for the buts in the Bible. Hmm. <laughs> Thank you, Martin Lloyd-Jones. <laughs> but now turns the corner on condemnation in the, on the entire human race to the justification for all believers in Jesus Christ by grace of God. Though condemned on the basis of the law, but now a righteousness, a right standing is available apart from the law, apart from what we do. And how is that righteousness possible? Verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. And propitiation is a word we don't use, probably even less than justification. Uh, but, but what it means is to satisfy divine justice, to satisfy God's wrath. And so the dilemma is, how can a just God love sinners? And God put forward himself to pay for, his, for their sins. That God would punish himself for the sins of mankind. God takes the full wrath on himself for every single person's every single sin. And so that sin is now coming into Christ and then the, the wrath of God is just blasted on Jesus. And in that one act, verse 26, that God becomes both just and justifier. It's a beautiful verse. He was just in that he was punished for sin. He avenged the wrong done to those he loves, but he was the justifier in that he justifies, he declares all of us righteous in that one act. And so this is the key to it all. This is the, this is the heart of the gospel. As Jesus hung on the cross dying 2,000 years ago, he tucked all of our sins into the holes in his hands, into the holes in his feet, so that he tucked our sins inside of himself so that we have a complete union with Christ, so that when he died, he paid for our sins. And so the, the, this the beautiful image, what, what this is happening is that he died on our behalf, and by our hope and faith in him, he pays for our sin. And so what we're saying all this right now, what we're distilling all this down to, what we've said so far is, we are justified by faith alone. Justified, declare righteous by faith, by putting our trust and hope in him alone that we, we can't earn any part of this righteousness. We can't. We cannot do any of that alone. And so the minute that you start feeling guilty for your sin, Jesus will say, I paid for that. I paid for that sin. I died for that. I paid the penalty. I took the wrath of God. Don't doubt that. And so the ver this very moment, you are just as justified today as you'll ever be. It doesn't feel like it, does it? But you are just as justified today as you'll ever be. You are declared righteous, and now we have the hard work of trying to believe that. But it's at this last point that we need to highlight the world of difference that justification makes. As great as forgiveness is, as sweet and needed as forgiveness is, it's only half of the equation. It's a negative. It describes what you don't get. You don't get punishment. But justification has two parts. It has a positive as well as a negative element. And so the negative element is you get forgiveness. So you, you don't get the wrath of God. 
but you positively, you get acceptance. You get, you get brought in. Verse 24 says, and are justified by grace as a gift. We get something as a gift. We receive something. Marcus Lone, many years ago, said, to speak of forgiveness is to say that you may go. You have been let off of your penalty. But to speak of justification is to say you may come. You are welcomed into all of my love and my presence. And therefore, as great as forgiveness is, it's just saying you may go. I'm not going to punish you, which is great, right? If, if you're in jail and you hear from the warden, you may go. You're going to be dancing on your way out of jail, right? That's good news. That's great. But better than that, justification isn't just you may go. It's you may come. You are welcomed into my presence, like, we like to think of, okay, Christ died for my sins. He paid for the penalty. Great. That's just the pardon from jail. But justification is not just hearing that you're just free to leave. It's hearing, would you come over for dinner? We've, we made a ton of food. We'd love for you to have some. Justification is saying, come into my presence and experience this deep, deep love of Christ. It's an invitation into something deeper. Calvin says justification consists of two parts, the remission of sins and the imputation of Christ's righteousness. So many new words here today if we're not used to this. Imputation, right? It's that, it's that we are given Christ's righteousness. That it's, it's been transplanted into us. Luther calls it this alien righteousness that, that, that comes from outside of you, this alien righteousness that has been given to you. And Christians are not left, and so we're not left in this like morally neutral state where God says you're forgiven, and now you got to earn your keep to stay in the family. That's not what happens with justification. That's not in the Bible. But what it does teach is that you are now given a right standing. You are now justified. You're given that last day verdict now. And that just push against, pushes against the default of the human heart. I think, I think every single one of us just feels that outside dread to earn our spot. Everywhere we go, we keep hearing that, that 10 seconds to justify our existence. In, in all of our fields of work, we, we feel the need to justify our role, to justify our place in the company, to justify our place at this institution, to justify our salary, to justify our decisions. Justify, justify, justify. We feel the need to prove ourselves. That dreaded feeling just keeps creeping in all of us, and we now apply it to our relationship with God. And we want to prove ourselves to God. And it distorts and discolors our relationship with God. When he says, I've given you the last day verdict, you're justified. And so let me go back to the question I posed at the beginning. What's the difference between a Pharisee and a recovering sinner? I think Pharisees, when they sin... As you see in the scriptures, they're very upset with their sin. They confess their sins. They're, they repent of their sins, and when they're all done, they're still Pharisees, not Christians. That should scare us. Matthew 7, says, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. How do we know if that's all that we are? 
How do we know if we're not just a Pharisee? Here's what makes you a Christian. You don't just look at your sins and repent of those. You also look at what you're proud about and repent of that as well. Like, look at what you're boasting in. Look at the things that you use to justify your existence. Not bad things, but things that you look to and, says, and say, this makes me worthy. This makes me valuable. Now God will love me. This validates me. This gives me worth at the table and it defends me. And so I ask you the question, what is that for you? What do you struggle with? What do you use to, to, to make yourself feel better as you tell people about yourself? Maybe you put it in your Instagram profile. Getting too personal. See, Paul goes on to say in this passage, where is boasting? What do you have to be proud about? Because justification is a free gift. We're justified by faith alone, by grace alone. And yes, that grace is never alone. It comes with a changed heart, changed actions, the love for your neighbors. We'll talk about more of that next week. But any pride you may have in what you've done proves that you don't get this doctrine because justification destroys pride what makes you a christian is not so much that you should repent of your sins though please hear me repent of your sins but also that you should repent of the ways that you are you're using these works to justify yourselves otherwise we're just another pharisee what makes you a Christian is that you repent of all of your sins and all of your works all together and that you rely solely on what Jesus did for you, not what you do for you. That you need Jesus more than everything that you can put forward. And that if we start thinking that earns our spot in heaven, then we don't get it. It is this distortion of our union with Christ. We are accepted by grace alone, by faith alone, united to Christ and because of what Jesus has done. And we get his righteousness imputed to us, and it's credited in our account, and we didn't do anything to deserve it. Nathan Coles, a a Connecticut farmer, tells a story about how he was converted listening to the evangelist George Whitfield, and he says, My hearing him preach gave me a heart wound, and by God's blessing, my old foundation was broken up, and I saw that my righteousness could not save me. Sit on that for a second. I saw that my righteousness could not save me. Do you think the process of getting to that point was pleasant? That his old foundations was broken up? Do you think that, was, that, that, that felt good? Or did it get challenging to the point where he finally said, I, I can't even rely on myself. I've got to trust in Jesus. And by God's grace... His righteousness could not save him. That is a wake-up call that every single one of us needs. Otherwise, he would have been just a really good person, a really good Pharisee on his way to hell. And that's just a stark warning for any one of us here. Are we just really good Pharisees, self-deceived, self-righteously on our way to hell? Or are we, are we re- repentant sinners solely relying on Jesus for our justification? Justification is a declaration that answers a dilemma and makes a world of difference. It's a declaration spoken over you. You don't earn it. It is given to you. The dilemma of God's love and justice finds its answer in Jesus' death on the cross. And the difference between you and a Pharisee is that you now repent not just of your sins, but of your boastings as well. And there's just tremendous peace that comes from that. There is a tremendous peace knowing that last day verdict 
Justification is more than forgiveness. It's not just you may go, it's you may come into his presence. And now remember that last day verdict and embrace the peace that is offered to you today. Let's pray.